0: All right, should we do this?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So a lot of people are experiencing disconnection at the moment, feeling disconnected. I know I am. You know, disconnected in lots of different ways.
0: There's a sense of disconnection from themselves, their authentic self, disconnection from each other and community, for sure.
1: Yeah, from kind of reality somehow. Yeah. That's how this began, the Reconnection Project. We were on a search for connection, And so what we thought we'd do is start talking to other people about how they're using different tools to help other people connect back to themselves and to the world and to each other.
0: And one of the areas that we were really curious about where we sense a lot of disconnection is between wellness and creativity. And we wanted to look at that intersection and find out what happens when you bring the creative arts and body awareness together. That's something that both you and I have spent years thinking about and pursuing and exploring.
1: And that brings us back to who we are.
0: Yeah, so I'm Molly. I am a Feldenkrais practitioner and I help people get out of chronic pain. The Feldenkrais method is one of the tools that I use amongst other things. Felden what? Yeah, so for those of you who haven't heard of the Feldenkrais method, it rhymes with paradise. (laughs) Um, It's really a movement-based learning method. It works with the nervous system. And that's kind of below the surface, but in terms of experience of it, it really is a way to help people be present with all that they are and be in a place of curiosity and just presence with every aspect of themselves. And that really is the foundation Of breaking free from the chronic pain cycle.
1: Cool. Learning to be present with yourself is really a big part of what I do as well. My name is Barnaby King and I am a performer, performance teacher. I teach clowning. You're a clown. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I'm a clown. But you know, when most people hear the word clown, they think of big noses and honk honk and big shoes and that, that kind of thing. And for me, that's not what clowning is about. Clowning. Is about getting to know yourself to accept and love yourself including everything right all the colors of the rainbow your flaws as well as your strengths and your light as well as your dark and then learning to play with that and be light and expressive with that and it's a beautiful thing to then share that with the world
0: so <laughs> that's very similar Feldenkrais method and clown there's definitely a relationship there
1: yeah and i think we'd always felt there was a relationship and we explored it once or twice but the Reconnection Project was about us trying to reconnect our practices together.
0: And what was so interesting is that throughout all of the different people that we talked to in the different techniques and tools and places that they were coming from, these kind of foundational themes kept coming up of being present and connection, as well as playing with the idea of accepting. The difficulty, the challenge, the dark side, as well as the light and the beauty and all that. And they
1: have a lot in common, but they also have,
0: you know, very specific different ways of talking about
1: creativity. Just what is creativity? For example, our first guest has this concept of the creative body. And that was one of the first things we wanted to ask about. Her name is Lavinia Plonka. A really cool name. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name. So Lavinia Plonka actually combines two of the things that we're most interested in in this podcast, because she has a background as a creative artist. She was trained as a dancer, did a lot of experimental contemporary performance and even in clowning. And she's also a trained Feldenkrais practitioner who uses that uh, amongst other things to help people in chronic pain. And I came across this video on her website that combined these things in this beautiful way
2: and I'd like to welcome you to my favourite place, the floor. Where it
1: actually made me laugh out loud because she was using physical comedy to explain the concepts of Feldenkrais and about how to get up off the ground with greater ease and
2: efficiency. And they found that the more difficulty they had getting up, the shorter their lives. They even measured how people get up. With support, That is a a perfect example of me synthesizing my background as a mime and a clown and using the Feldenkrais method.
0: Actually, I want to just say it's really nice to meet you. Likewise. I'd like to hear from you a little bit more about what the creative body is and how you manifest it in your work.
2: So my entire life has been informed by a deep, Deep question of, you know, who am I? Why am I here? What is is it that we're supposed to be doing? And uh, through that process, I had, you know, immersed myself in many different aspects of study. Besides my work as a performer, I was always interested in all of the other arts. Uh, I also trained in music when I was younger. And I read a lot of mythology. I've read a lot of spiritual work. I've read a lot of psychology. And when I became a Feldenkrais teacher, I kept feeling like all of the awareness through movement lessons, everything that we did in some way or another inspired or reminded me of a story that I read or of a type of character or of a myth, or, you know, even the idea of reaching for something became mythological for me. And I kept wanting to incorporate different traditions, different principles, different ideas within the context of an awareness through movement lesson. So many years ago, just to remember that I didn't come to the Feldenkrais Method From any sort of a medical background. I mean, when I graduated, I still probably couldn't name half the bones in the body. And so I was winging it a lot, going, okay, well, what do you do know how to do? Well, you do know how to make up stories. Well, you do know how to perform. So I found myself looking through that lens as I started to develop workshops. And as I started to develop these workshops and see that no one else was teaching a workshop like on fear. This is back in the early 90s or a workshop on the chakras or a workshop on, you know, I started playing with all of these different things that I was interested in. And through the years, as these workshops, you know, I I got to evolve some of them. I started to realize that what I was doing was being in a creative process. And as I was working with people, I was realizing that as they engage in this synthesis the synthesis of what I think of as body, mind, emotion, and spirit, looking at all of those through the context of awareness through movement that they were creating. And I started to think of the body and, you know, in Feldenkrais, we often don't talk about the body. We talk about ourselves, but this vessel that I carry carries all of that and how I create my world how I create myself is also a creative act. And so that's where the name, the creative body came from. I wanted something that gives people the idea that we're in a constant state of creation and we have access to so many different ways of experiencing ourselves. And Feldenkrais is not just about, I mean, it's wonderful to get rid of pain and heal your shoulder and play the violin better and all of that, but it should be a whole person experience all the time. And so that's what I've been striving for with all of the things that I do.
0: So when you talk about taking an idea and finding a lesson that will you can explore that idea through, do you also find that supports function and what the relationship is there? So to me, you can't separate
2: them. And, you know, Moshe Feldenkrais said many times that there are always four things going on, moving, thinking, sensing and feeling. They're always Mm -hmm. all going on. Right. And we've got neuroscience now to back that up. Antonio Damasio's work, who's a neuroscientist who speaks about this idea of foreground and background emotions and that we cannot think logically without connecting with our emotional cells and that our physiological reactions are happening uh, even before we're conscious of the thoughts that are coming. So it's all always happening at the same time. So you can't stop function from being part of it. And what I find interesting is that if I change my focus from let's make your pelvis move better to let's explore the center of presence of the warrior, which is a grounded central place working from your dantian and understand how a warrior finds their place. And then we do a pelvic exercise. The person will feel stronger, but they'll also have a better function. So they all go together. Any oh, I that. that I choose, we just um, finishing up a series Uh, that I'm doing, um, that I call the three graces. You know, the traditional three graces from Greek mythology were beauty, elegance, and joy. And so I took the idea of beauty as balance. So the first, you know, the first workshop was all about balance, which is all about function, but we also looked at it from how do you find balance in your life, what is what is the sense of balance uh, in terms of confidence? And then we had a great game. I uh, we we all did an obstacle. Everyone this was virtual, so but everyone created their own obstacle course in their house and explored what it was like to move through an obstacle course and then do an awareness through movement lesson and then talk about where in their lives they're out of balance. And through the process, they began to feel the beauty of their own expression.
1: That sounds um, really amazing. The obstacle course.
2: through the house.
1: It sounds fun. Exactly. That's what struck me. It was like, that is so playful to have people do something like that. And you mentioned earlier, you know, your background with clown and mime and so on and the comedy value in some of those videos. And I wonder how is it for you that playfulness is so important as an aspect of creativity?
2: For me, when I get into, you know, angst, or stress or uh, forcing something, I find that the result looks just like that. It doesn't look effortless. It doesn't look organic. So I feel for myself that I always have to check in and go, well, where's the fun in this? Where's, where's the, where's the joy? Speaking of the three graces, you know, and, and, Again, Moshe Feldenkrais said, learning should be a pleasurable experience. Mm. And if you're not having fun, you're not learning. Well, to me, every time I'm in a creative process, there's learning going on as well. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, all right. Well, let's try it this way. But when it becomes no fun anymore, (laughs) then then I need to do something else.
1: That's really interesting. So there's a kind of um, implicit in what you just said. There's this kind of resilience and strength because you just mentioned The idea of something failing and then being able to move on from that and try again, which for me is very reminiscent of the clown spirit, you know, that the clown just always gets back up, bounces back up from whatever failure they've just had. Is that then where playfulness also comes in? Because if you're playing at what you're doing, even if it's a serious thing, the failure is less maybe traumatic.
2: Um, And I'm glad you brought that up, because to me, that was revelatory when I trained as a clown, that the more the clown fails, the more successful the clown is from the perspective of the audience, and that we have to learn how to fail well. And so then when I discovered the Feldenkrais method, where Feldenkrais kept saying you have to learn how to fall well, I felt like those two ideas are so interconnected. So, I mean, there's only one letter difference between them. And, you know, our attitude so often towards failing and falling is the same, that there's a sense of irreversibility, that there's a sense of shame, right? When I fail, there's shame when, when I fall in public, right? I mean, the only time we laugh when somebody falls is when we're watching them on video or we're watching them on stage. When you see someone fall on the street, you're overcome with horror for that person. And that person is not thinking it's funny. They're very embarrassed. And it's the same thing when we feel like we've failed, right? When I failed, oh my gosh, what will people think of me? I'll never recover, all these things. So this idea of resilience that you just brought up to me, is absolutely key. Because if I know how to fail well, and if I know how to fall well, I am going to be able to get back up and try again. And the audience will applaud.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious, what else you bring into this practice, the creative body and how, cause you don't say the Feldenkrais method, that's a part of the creative body. And it was what I'm getting from the way you're talking about it. So I'm curious about what else you draw from. Are they just of your own creation in the moment? Are you specifically drawing from specific things or do you have things that you return to that are part of that?
2: I would say all of the above. It depends on the situation certainly when i'm planning a course or a series of workshops or even one workshop i plan things i'll have props or materials for people to work with but then i'm not attached to how it might turn out it doesn't always turn out the way i planned it right and that's and that's where uh being willing to fail or uh being willing to be in the moment is very, very, very interesting. That being said, I like to give people an opportunity to use another part of their learning ability. So we all know that some people are kinesthetic learners and auditory learners and, you know, different different ways of doing things. And other times it gives them an opportunity to stretch. So, you know, sometimes we'll have a drawing exercise. Sometimes we'll have a writing exercise or we'll do some, you know, playful improvisation games or ideas that I've planned. Sometimes we'll pull something from something else, like from Aikido or, you know, um, you know, it depends. It depends on the workshop and what the need is in that particular situation. Sometimes I'll draw from some of my training in the emotional body and bring in an emotional pattern for people to explore uh, in, in, sometimes planned and sometimes in the moment depending on what again the theme of it is when i've done longer retreats i've employed or retreats or courses i've employed uh longer activities like sometimes i'll uh, you know in some of my retreats i'll send people out t- with their cell phones to do a photography project that's related to the theme and then we come back and we have a slideshow and we talk about you know it's adding an activity from theater training or something like that, that is still safe for people. For me, the important thing, and the thing I learned so much from Moshe Feldenkrais's work, is that you learn better in a safe environment. Um, you know, when I was in my performing career, like one time I was actually had the opportunity to be in Poland studying with Grotowski's company back before they went into paratheatrics, and they kept terrifying us their whole thing was about get over your fear. You know, I still remember the one guy yelling constantly, you're like a stallion, just leap, don't be afraid. And, you know, and we're doing crazy stuff. And and it was terrifying. I learned. And I tried that as a teacher until I found a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. So like, if somebody gets a piece of paper, and some crayons, and they go, I hate drawing, I'm I, I'm not good at drawing, you know, then I say, well, you, you don't have to do it. You can go lie down and rest, or maybe just draw whatever you feel like, or you don't have to share it, you know, giving people permission. And many times people to go, wow, I never realized that I really like working in colors, or I never, my mother always told me I was a terrible artist and so I never picked up a crayon again. So it opens up something for them, mm-hmm. And then because they've done this work in um, using movement in this mindful way, there's something more open and gives them more possibilities. I think it's,
1: it's amazing that you have this clowning background, because certainly within the clowning and theater world, as you say, there is this kind of continuum. You know, and certainly in clown training, you have a lot of people who are very, you know, who deliberately use this kind of provocative atmosphere to push people to find their funny. Mm -hmm. and and it's very sink or swim you know for students and then at the other end of the scale I think maybe more recently there are teachers who are finding this other way of being in clown which is much more what you're describing much more nurturing much more creating a kind of safe space and that's something I've learned from working in Feldenkrais with Molly as well over the years is this beautiful sense of you do what you want to do, what you need to do in this moment. Take well, well, it's
2: interesting as you're speaking, because, of course, we're speaking of arts that do require a discipline. They do require a commitment to uh, to practice. There's there is a process involved of a commitment, which is very different to me than people who are coming to a workshop because they just want to know themselves a little bit more or experience uh, an emotional breakthrough, or want to feel more grounded, they're not looking to become a clown, or an Aikidoist, or, or anything. And yet, they appreciate when you bring in these elements for them to play with, again, we have that word, and it enriches their experience of themselves. But if somebody wants to be a clown, or a dancer, or whatever, there's so much more that's involved. Each one of us is a creator. You're creating every second. you're creating your shape, you're creating how you move. you're creating <clears throat> your relationships. Um, there's a there's books now about how the brain is actually creating your perception of reality. you're creating your relationships. So to me the the process that I'm sharing in the creative body is an opportunity to, help you see that you can create more consciously
0: mm. so that
2: so that you're not a victim of your unconscious creations that you can begin to be you know have agency over what you're creating in your life mm. that to me that's the whole point point. and then whether you're an artist or a school teacher or or a bus driver you can have a creative process in the way you're living your life I was just thinking of a story about my Feldenkrais training. One of my trainers is a, a wonderful teacher named Russell Delman. And he told a story about how uh, one time he was in Manhattan and he was watching uh, a hot dog vendor. As the vendor moved, you know, he took the the, the burger and the bun and the sauerkraut and, and you know, danced it all together. and And suddenly there was this hot dog. And he said it was like watching a ballet. Yeah. And that there was not a series of separate movements that were not integrated, but a flow that made the hot dog one with everything. And I've always remembered that story because to me that that emphasizes this idea of the art of living and that I'm constantly creating my own life.
0: How you see creativity and someone's connection to their creativity in relation to their wellness. Uh, As much as I would love to have a lot of
2: people coming to see me because they want to be able to write their novel better or get through this uh, block of the blank canvas, most people come because they're in pain. Um, That's the beginning of the process. And so to me, the first step in the creativity is looking at oneself in a new way. How can I look at myself in a new way? 99.9% of the people who show up at my door have already tried everything before they've dragged themselves into something they can't pronounce that's not covered by insurance. <laughs> right? So the creativity starts right to me from the very beginning when when we start looking at well how does it feel how does it feel when you put your weight on your right foot how does it feel when you put your weight on your left foot and then what would happen if you walked with your left foot the way you walk with your right foot and this is you know as a as a feldenkrais teacher this is what we could say pure feldenkrais but to a person who's never experienced that it's a creative process huh mm. i never thought about what my left foot does What could my left foot do? How could I move? You know, uh, we talk many times, many times with people. I have invoked John Cleese and the Ministry of Silly Walks as a way for them to interrupt their habitual process, where, again, it becomes playful. And I've even encouraged people, I'll say, don't do it when anybody's watching, unless, of course, you want applause. But please, you know, play with your walk as you're walking to see what is getting in your way. This is, of course, just about walking, but it's it's never just about walking, is it? Yeah. Um, so that's one way that I begin to employ looking in a, at, at the creative process. Then the second thing is this idea that we have in our work that if you change one thing, you change everything. So as a person is experiencing uh, you know, something different in the shoulder, then they have an opportunity to explore, well, what did that do? What did that do to my hip? How is my head resting now? What would happen if my head rested the other way? So they begin to explore after experiencing a change. So that's another way to do it. You know, so I'm encouraging. What am I encouraging? I'm encouraging the principles of learning that are there all the time. Curiosity, willing to be in the unknown, um, paying attention, right? Those are, those are to me elements of creativity. If I want to engage in a creative act, I have to have those elements with me. If I'm going to be creative, I can't be in the known. If I already know, then then there's nothing to create. It's already done. <laughs> I'm in the process of creating a new self image, a new way of relating to myself. And then I, you know, I play with using creative ideas all the time to just get people out of their out of their ordinary thinking way, out of their habitual way of thinking because so much of our pain is about our habits. I've been working with someone who has um Uh, basically it's fluid on the brain. And so her stability is incredibly way off. She can, she can't go anywhere without a lot of support and is going for surgery soon. But in the meantime, we've been working on trying to help her feel more connected. And she'd been going to physical therapy and the physical therapist had been telling her that she needed to march and so, you know, this poor woman was marching around and trying to make it work. And her brother, who's a classical musician, had started playing Brandenburg Concerto and making her march to the Brandenburg Concerto. This
0: oh, is a wow. woman.
2: This is a woman who, when she used to come to me, would tell me that in the afternoon, she would spend the time boogieing to George Clinton and the Funkadelics. And now she's marching to the Brandenburg Concerto. So I just went, you know what? Let's try a different song. And I, <laughs> and I, and I brought up Uptown Funk and uh, the Bruno Mars song. And, you know, as soon as it began, you could see that she understood a different kind of rhythm for her march. And this, you know, she had her walker and she's marching around the room and she just danced right out the door. Now, you know, that's <laughs> not pure Feldenkrais. <laughs> But it was a it was a spontaneous creative moment because I knew that she loved funk. And that that changed her way and her attitude towards the march.
1: Um I'm really curious, Lavinia, about your own. You've you've sort of really as you've been describing creativity and accessing your clients' creativity, you've also been talking about your own creativity as a teacher and how the two are really interlinked like you're almost on a kind of little improvisation
2: absolutely so in in our private lessons which are very different from the group lessons just for the people who are not familiar with that um in the group lessons the teacher is giving audio instructions whereas in a private lesson sometimes they they can be almost silent But a lot of the guidance is done through contact, through touching, through touching, through moving a part of a person or holding and constraining a part of a person. I believe, by the way, constraint is very important. When do I hold on and when do I let go? This to me is the essence of clown, right? If you think about it in certain ways, I have often described to people that I feel that a private lesson is like slow motion contact improv. Mm. right know, because, because i'm following where they're going and then they're leading me and then i'm leading them but it's very slow and it's and it's very attentive in a in a different way you have to be very attentive obviously when you're doing contact improv but more more at the risk of your life <laughs> you're you're thinking more about survival where in this case they're thinking more about what what is actually happening here in me and how, you know, where is the resistance? Where is the letting go? So I've always thought of it as a contact improvisation, just like I've always thought of an awareness to movement lesson as slow motion Aikido or slow motion Judo.
1: I'd love to reflect as well a little bit on your improvisational learning as a teacher more broadly, because it seems to me, well, I mean, in the pandemic, we've all had to improvise and learn. hmm and I'm, I'm really curious about what you've learned in this past year and a half about um, the possibilities of Feldenkrais and your, and your practice specifically. What are the new issues that are coming up or new solutions that are being found in the current climate?
2: Well, I had been teaching online for many years hmm. before the pandemic came. So in a way, you could say I was already prepared in a certain way for that process. What I have learned is that there are advantages and disadvantages to the mediums, media, and there are things you can't do online that you can do. And for example, the thing that I just described, the slow motion contact improv can't really happen online because I'm only seeing... One part of a person, and I'm not touching them. And they're very, very small. So, um, you know, so that is a disadvantage when it comes to human contact. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know if
2: this is really that interesting, but uh, what I did discover is that hybrid workshops are not my favorite thing to do, and I will not do them again. Hybrid? Yeah. So, in other words, like what I had done when we went completely. Everything closed. I started teaching my regular uh, awareness through movement classes that I've always had at my studio here online, and my students were coming online. Then, when things started to open up, I gave people the opportunity to come to the studio and socially distance. And if people still wanted to be um, on the computer, they'd be on the computer. And that was fine. You know, I just set up my computer and I'm teaching. But then I thought, well, let me try to do that for my workshops, which had gone completely online. And I had people on the floor in my studio, and all of these people who don't know me committing to three hours with people on the floor for three hours. That was, uh, you know, talk about. Uh, I,
0: I, I, do I call it a failure? It, it was, was a, a learning it, opportunity, it Lavinia. It was
2: a, it was a learning <laughs> opportunity of realizing it's like somebody going, "It's not working." Me going, "Where, where? Oh, I have to do that. No, I have to do that. No, you know." And I went back and forth and back and forth, and. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I just felt like, who am I talking to? so yeah, so that that I realized is not an optimal situation. and yeah. so from now on, when I do workshops, it will either be just virtual or just in person. Yeah, I still do that, but some of them have now been able to go back to their own local people as well. and some people are really focusing on that, but to yeah. me, um I, I to me it's all about the law of attraction. Whoever shows up, um, you know, if you want to come online, you want to come in person. Come, come one, come all.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: I, I I'm really uh, would love to come back to some of these um to this specific creative body training that we read about on on your website, Lavinia. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned before we started the uh, recording that you were in process really with that and that you're developing and a whole new kind of set of concepts or structures mm-hmm. for this creative body. Right. Uh, would you let us into that?
2: Um, it's so exciting to have this uh, method as something to continue to work with and explore my relationship to myself and my learning process. So when I created the creative body, and started to put these different uh, courses that you've mentioned like eloquence in action and uh, the chakras and the archetypes. I thought of that from the perspective of, again, this idea that I'm constantly creating myself and constantly creating aspects of myself. What I've learned in the years is that when people hear the word, the creative body, they still go to this idea of being a maker or, or that, that they have to be a performer or that they have to. And so I've been looking at, well, what is it exactly that I'm offering in these ideas? And I realized that actually we could look at all of these different things as other bodies, the archetypal body, the energy body, mental body, the spiritual, you know, it's, it's suddenly I started to see that they were all these bodies that are living within me. So I've been working on the process of trying to find, well, what do I call it? And I've also been kind of collaborating and developing a relationship. We'll see where it goes over the course of the next year with another Feldenkrais teacher, Candy Canino, who is also, you know, coincidentally studied some of the same things, but is also a brilliant anatomist and has a deep understanding of, uh, you know, putting things together. So we've been working together and The name that I want to begin to call it, and you're the first to hear it in public, because it's just kind of evolving, and there will be, within the next year, an actual training and certification process in this. We're calling it I Am Movement. I-A-M Movement. So the I Am, of course, comes from many, many different spiritual traditions, but also the three letters I-A-M are going to be part of the process. Like, uh, you know, the words that I'm with right now are integration, awareness, and mastery. And, uh, you know, the reason I'm doing it is because uh, I love the Feldenkrais method and I'm so grateful for my training. But for me, I need to bring in other elements, A, and B, in order to become a Feldenkrais practitioner, it requires such an incredible investment of time and money that many people just don't do anything. They don't even start. And right. so this would be a way to have a skill that goes with whatever you do. I'm not saying that you can you know, go hang your hat and say you are now an I Am Movement instructor, but instead that you have been informed by the process of I Am Movement to enrich whatever your life is, including maybe going on to a Feldenkrais training at some point.
0: Well, cool. Yeah. I'm so inspired by so many things that you said. In fact, there were some things that you said that was made me excited as a teacher and like, oh, that's a, I that got a great idea there. I'm going <laughs> to well, put that to work. So yeah. it's that inspiration, creativity, um, just kind of flows, doesn't it? And it, it does it's in that it, it's on a continuum. So that's so. That's so great.
1: This was really pleasurable and enlightening. And I just, I've written down so many notes from what you were saying. I think one of the little phrases you said that I really love and I'm going to, it's going to stay with me is learning about yourself is a creative act.
2: Mm -hmm. And I could add to that every creative act you learn about yourself.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And it was great to meet you. Great Great to to hear about your work here. I'm so delighted you're doing this. Wow, what a great conversation with Lavinia.
1: Yeah, that was really amazing. I enjoyed that so much. And I hope that everyone listening enjoyed it.
0: I loved how she talked about creating space for almost anything to arise. She just has that really open approach to her work.
1: Yeah, it seems like she's just constantly creating, Mm. you know, in her own work and her life. And it's like she's practicing what she preaches. But she talked about this idea of your life is this constant process of creation.
0: Yeah, I think she does live that.
1: And I have to say, I really enjoy all the connections and allusions to clowning that come through in her work, particularly that idea of failure and resilience around failure through being playful in your life, you know, that if you're playful with things, then in a way failure is something that you sort of bounce back from more easily. And that's exactly what clowning teaches us. So I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, me too, it was great. So what do we have coming up next? There's something really wonderful heading your way. Can you tell us about it, Barnaby?
1: Yeah, so the next interview uh, that's coming to you is gonna be with Dr. Carl Hammerschlag. Now this is a particularly special episode, an interview because uh, Carl passed away just a few weeks ago, in fact. And the interview we did with him, I think was probably the last interview that he gave just a couple of months ago. And it really is a very special interview because Carl talks about his experiences as a doctor working on Indian, Native American reservations and what he learned about health and later how he got into clowning and integrated that into his work.
0: With Patch life. Adams.
1: With Patch Adams, among yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a really cool episode. Don't miss that. And there's going to be a, a lot more episodes with other people coming up.
0: Other amazing soon. people.
1: Have a great day.